The Inside Learning Podcast is brought to you by the Learnovate Center. Learnovate's research explores the power of learning to unlock human potential. Find out more about Learnovate's research on the science of learning and the future of work at learnovatecenter.org. Middle school is its own important, distinct territory, and yet it's either written off as an uncomfortable rite of passage or lumped in with other developmental phases. Today's guest, a clinical professional counsellor, certified professional school counsellor, journalist and author, sees these years instead as a critical stage that parents can't afford to ignore. She maintains that the ages make more of a difference than the setting. Though the transition from childhood to adolescence can be tough for kids, this time of rapid physical, intellectual, moral, social and emotional change is a unique opportunity to proactively build character and confidence. Welcome to the second season of the Inside Learning Podcast, brought to you by the Learnovate Centre here in Trinity College, Dublin. I am your host, Aid McCullen, and it is a great pleasure to welcome today's guest, the author of Middle School Matters, the 10 key skills kids need to thrive in middle school and beyond, and how parents can help. Phyllis Fagel, Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to have you. And thank you for joining us. It's an awkward time of year. You're on holidays, and I really appreciate you taking the time out to join us. Your work is fantastic. It's so important, and it's shining a light on an element that has been overlooked so often. But I thought before we launch into some of the skills that we can provide for children and for educators and for parents that we should agree for those people listening to us all over the world, what age group middle school covers in the first place? Absolutely. Roughly 10 to 14, although during the pandemic and given all of the disruption, I would even extend that to about 15 because there are some milestones that kids just didn't hit at the same time they might have prior to the pandemic. And I love what you said in your intro, which is that it is more about the age and the developmental phase and the structure of this school, no matter where you put it, 10 to 14 year old, and whether you call it junior high or middle school, or it's part of a high school, or it's still part of a K through or an elementary school structure, it's the phase that defines what kids need. I thought we'd share some of the skills you encourage today, but I tee you up from an excerpt from a brilliant article that you wrote in the Washington Post. So I'll tee you up here and then we'll jump into some of the skills because we don't have that much time together today. Here we go. You said, when music teacher Monica Hepburn noticed a few weeks ago that her students were progressing slower than expected, and that some were doing the bare minimum, she asked them to rate their effort on a scale of 1 to 10 and to think about whether they were on track to reach their goals. Everyone wanted to get a trophy at the County Music Festival, said Hepburn, who works at North Bethesda Middle School in Maryland, but they didn't realize they needed to work hard and practice. As one eighth grader told her, I don't think we know how to get there. And you say children will avoid expending energy on tasks for all sorts of reasons, whether they think they're boring, irrelevant or frustrating, or they want to protect their ego or feel pressure to perform. Although it can be easy to engage in a battle of wills here today, we're going to discuss seven more productive ways that caregivers, teachers, parents can help children overcome their own resistance and accomplish really hard things. 
I absolutely love the way you tee that up. And skill number one is focusing on autonomy, meaning, and progress. Thank you for that. If you want your child to do work or your students to do work, they need to see why it's relevant. They need to understand what bearing it has on their own life. They're not just going to jump right in unless they feel that they have that sense of connection to you as the educator, that they feel like they can do it well, that they have the skills they need to execute on the task, and they may need some help getting started. Kids, they don't yet have that part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex that's responsible for things like planning and task initiation and problem solving. So they really do need a lot of structure and scaffolding from the adults in their life. I was thinking about that, Phyllis, like as I was reading, I was like going and going, well, I can see what Phyllis is trying to prevent here. Like there's a a kind of an age old kind of story about you walk into the kitchen and the taps overflowing. Do you grab a bucket and a mop? And do you start mopping or do you turn off the tap? And I felt that what you're trying to do here is turn off the tap to prevent what actually happens in adulthood for many people. Because even that first skill that you talk about is missing in the workplace of so many people. And I feel that your work can be so impactful to prevent that going on in the future, because so many people work in organizations where there is no autonomy, meaning and progress for them. And it's very difficult and very difficult mentally for people as well. I couldn't agree more. I love that example that you gave with the tap water. And I think a lot of the research that's been done on uh, self-determination theory, which is really the key pieces that you mentioned of autonomy and progress and competence, that is just as applicable to the work world as it is to kids. And I often think that if we can teach kids when they're young, how to get started, even when something is hard, how to persist, even when they're frustrated, imagine what they're going to accomplish throughout their life as professionals as well. We can get in there early and make a huge difference. But one of the next ones is useful. Again, I think I thought about this time about how so many people have so many goals they want to achieve in life, but for whatever reason, lack of discipline or discouragement, whatever it might be, they fade away from them. And 80% plus of New Year's resolutions fail. For example, there's people listening who want to write a book. They want to do something huge in their life and they're just held back. And just like you say in middle school, if you get a battle buddy, it can help reduce your pressure. Yes. I think Sometimes the the biggest impediment to doing something or accomplishing a goal is simply getting started. And as we talked about earlier, it could be fear of failure. It could be that you don't want to let someone down. It could be you're afraid that if you actually pursue that goal and it doesn't go well, then you will feel hopeless as a result. And one of the ways that you can address that fear and get over that hump is to tackle something with that battle buddy uh, or or with a friend, with a partner. It might be maybe you want to take a a judo class, but you don't know anyone in it. And so you sign up for it with somebody else, or you're afraid to present in front of an audience. That's something adults struggle with as well. And so you get your feet wet by presenting with a partner the first time you get up there in front of an audience. It's so useful to be able to discuss the things that don't go well, perhaps get feedback in a positive sense, but also have an accountability partner, which is probably what we call it when we're adults rather than a battle buddy. The next one, Phyllis, I loved because, again, this seems to fade in life. And one of my jobs is to work as a corporate coach and run workshops, etc. And I can see when some people come into the room, they're fearful 
And I wonder sometimes, is it a reflection of the experience they had in the education system that maybe they didn't have a great experience? Not everybody does. And you talk here about a skill that we must instill at such a young age, which is focusing on joy and leveraging imagination. Yes, I think that we try to put kids into, we put all these kids who have very different skills and neurodiversity brings so much to us societally, but when kids are going through that system, they don't necessarily fit in that box and they may not have the success in the school setting that reflects their intelligence or their capacity for learning. And we want to make sure that that does not limit them and they don't limit themselves and that they can think big and they can think about what their goals are. I love having kids not only write down their goals, but actually put them somewhere where they can see them and revisit them. There's a lot of research showing that simply reminding yourself of what your goals are can help you stick to them. The next one is another great one. And again, I just can't help thinking about how this reflects the workplace for so many people. And this is to work with them, not on them. And again, for example, I think about executive coaching. A lot of people think having an exec coach is a weakness. And the whole idea there is actually to help people. You're almost like a mirror for people so they can see and get some feedback on a regular basis. It's not that they're broken. It's like any coach, any sporting coach. You're helping people achieve their potential. Yes, and you're helping them clarify what it is they actually want. I think when we're working with children, we need to make sure that the feedback has about a five to one positive to negative ratio that we're really focusing on their strengths and helping them see themselves as really capable. But having that adult, that mentor, a role model in the case of a parent, somebody who is letting them see that you can make a mistake and you can keep putting one foot in front of the other, or you can iterate if the first time you try a specific approach doesn't work and letting them know that the people who succeed aren't the people who go it alone or the people who don't make any mistakes. They're the people that know how to ask for help. They're the people who keep going, even if the first time they try something, they completely embarrass themselves. You see that so many times where people in interviews are asked questions like, and what the interviewer is trying to actually do is figure out, is this person a good team player? And People believe they have to say they did it all themselves. And you see it on people's CVs all the time. And I think, again, once again, what you're doing here, encouraging that at such a young age. Absolutely. Encourages people to understand that they do need others to be able to build themselves. So the next skill is a very valuable one. Even And again, I, I was thinking about this one from children from a very young age, is to tie efforts to values and goals. And a lovely quote here from the article was, connect them to to why they're doing the thing rather than the immediate consequences. So again, instilling a why, and again, in the workplace for people, gets them to think outside the box so they don't have to follow a prescribed way of doing things. It also can help them overcome fear. If you have one emotion, maybe you're afraid to take a risk or you're afraid to do something because you might drop a notch in the eyes of your peers or the eyes of your teachers. But you have another goal, which is that in the long run, you know that this project you're undertaking might make a difference or help other people. You can really tap into that other value, that value of helping people to help you overcome the emotion that's getting in your way, that fear. One of my passions, Phyllis, is is innovation. And that's why the idea of imagination as well is so important. But 
fear is one of the biggest blockers. People are so afraid of speaking up and suggesting new ideas. Do you see that happening at middle school? Yes, middle schoolers in particular tend to struggle, particularly girls with perfectionism and making something fun, whether you gamify it or you make it silly by having them repeat something a million times until it sounds like gobbledygook just to lighten the mood or having them see how many spelling mistakes they can make if they were really fast, just to loosen their thinking a little bit, have them take a lighter approach to making mistakes can really help them and help them be more creative as well. I love that. And one of the things you said there was really interesting about the feedback being more positive than negative. We we know that instinctively. But the next skill I thought was how do you actually put that into action, which is to model pro- positivity and proactive behavior. So if you go back to that idea of self-determination theory and kids need to feel a sense of agency. You want them to be proactive. You want them, instead of buckling when something doesn't go well, to think to themselves, okay, that didn't work. What can I do differently next time? So as an adult, you might say, you know, I just tried to teach you this particular skill. If you're the teacher or if you're in the workplace, you might say, I wanted to ask for a raise. And so I summoned up all my courage and I went to my boss and I asked was about to ask for a raise and I got so nervous that I started to shake and I had to completely stop having that conversation. So I went and I caught my breath and I took a few minutes and then I went back and I tried again. And you know what? He agreed with me that I deserved that raise. So what you're modeling for your child or for your student is that you make mistakes or you experience setbacks and you regroup and you figure out what is it that you need to do to achieve a different outcome or a more desired outcome. It's so important, isn't it? That part of actually modeling what resilience really is, that bounce back ability as well. And that works beautifully. There's a sub part you talk about in this skill. And I love this because I think about how many times I try to get my kids to do something and they're like, I don't want, I don't want or whatever, for whatever reason, as you say, but (laughs) then you say, well, say, for example, it's like, come on, let's go out and ride a bike and they say, no, you give us a solution to this that so many people will be so happy to hear about. Uh, Well, I I think you're talking about behavioral activation, but it's simply get started, go outside and get on the bike. And 90% of the time, maybe even more, once they bike for five minutes, they realize it's fun and it feels good to get the fresh air and they keep going. And that applies to just about anything, even putting your name on a homework assignment can be enough to tip the balance and help them get started. If they're perfectionist in particular, they may not want to risk getting that answer wrong. So rather than having them stop completely when they hit a hard question, just have them circle it and come back to it. But the idea is to get them doing something because behavior acting as if can often get them to continue and keep going. What I found was so useful was to see this at the stage that you're intervening and go, what can it prevent later on in life? Because we have a raft of people with issues later on in life that could be skills they develop at this young age, which is why I think the book is so, so useful. The next one, Phyllis, I loved, which was, I have this problem at home with my children with the dishwasher, and we have them now doing the dishwasher. But it's like in the early days, it's like, oh, we're so much quicker just to do it myself. (laughs) And one of the things that that shows up in with children in a way for me was when they are making a decision it 
can be easier just to tell them what the decision should be based on your experience. But then you forget, actually, the world has changed a lot. Their world is entirely different than the one I grew up in. Maybe my decisions are actually wrong. And I love, love this skill you talk about. You say forecast consequences, but don't make choices for them. Yes. And and when you were talking about the dishwasher, I was thinking, I love that example because there was a time fairly recently when my husband said to my own youngest child, you know, why did you put the the dishes in, in a way that they collect the water. You know, he was sort of commenting that it would have been easier to do it himself because everything had been put in upside down. And my son said, well, unless it's a colander, you know, (laughs) and lighten the mood, because obviously it doesn't matter what way you put the colander in the dishwasher. And it was such a good example of adults not always knowing everything, even though it was said in jest and it was just a light, funny moment. But kids really are the experts in their own lives. And we're so tempted to either do things for them so that we're more efficient or to tell them what they should do so that they don't make a mistake. And I often think back to my own childhood and I feel like I was one of those kids who I had to make all my own mistakes. No one could save me from from mistakes simply by telling me what to do. But when something doesn't go right, it gets encoded in a different part of your brain. It goes into that long-term memory in a different way and they will learn. And some kids have to learn by doing. And sometimes we're not right anyway. They are actually much more self-aware than we think they are. I love that. And for me, that was the biggest takeaway was that because my children are at that point in life where they're actually making decisions, choosing things. For example, my younger kid, he's brilliant at different sports. And now he has to choose which one because he can't play them all. And, you know, the easy thing would be to kind of go, well, this one suits me as a parent. But then what's he learning? He's not learning anything. And how would you approach that one, Phyllis, out of out of a selfish question? You know, I think that the greater gift is to help kids figure out what gives them pleasure, help them figure out where their strengths and their interests intersect and let them explore, let them quit, let them try new things. But I also think it's okay to factor in convenience and family demands because that's part of teamwork and part of growing up to recognizing that they're part of a family and everyone has to do their part to keep it functioning. Beautiful. I will take that one home to the bank. Phyllis, for people who are interested in the book, for you as a consultant or for doing keynotes, where can they find you? I have a website. It's phyllisfagel.com. And you can also find me. I'm fairly active on Twitter and that's at pfagel. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you on the Inside Learning podcast here in Trinity College Dublin, author of Middle School Matters, the 10 key skills kids need to thrive in middle school and beyond, and how parents can help. And I have definitely learned a lot today. Phyllis Fagel, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Next on the Inside Learning Podcast, we're joined by Cormac Noonan, co-founder of the Wolf Academy. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Aidan. Thanks for having us. It's great to have you on the show, man. I thought we'd start with something interesting. I was thinking, listening back to Phyllis, and I was thinking about that middle school age group. And I was kind of going, what does that reflect to in Ireland, which is specifically your marketplace? And it's probably more an older age group, like 15 upwards, transition year students, etc. And this is exactly the type of people that you cater for 
Wolf Academy. So maybe we'll start off and you tell us a bit about what your mission is, what your purpose is with Wolf Academy. Our aim is to help teenagers, mainly from 15 to 18, connect with and become their true selves. And the way we do that is through talks, workshops and online programs um, in secondary schools. So for us, myself and Daryl, we both went down very different paths in life. We were brothers and we co-founded the company together. And basically through the struggles that we faced, we realized that if we could maybe share our stories and the mistakes we've made and some of the tools that we've used to overcome those struggles, maybe we could help young people when they're back in school at that age, 15, 16, up to 18, where, you know, where a lot of that stuff kind of starts. So say, for example, for Daryl, he went down a path of alcohol and drug abuse for over 10 years. And that started when he was like 15. So it's bringing that awareness to young people at that age that there is tools to connect with yourself because what we see is these problems come from a disconnection to yourself. So it's just coming back to yourself. And like, you know, that can be meditation, journaling, even the movement, exercise, getting into your body, breathing techniques. Um, so that's kind of what we do. And I suppose my bit about my story as well. I was one of those overachievers when I was in school. So I actually was quite studious, but then I got the college degree in Trinity and then I went and worked in a big IT firm for three years. But I realized that I actually hated what I was doing. So I decided to quit and follow my own path. And again, that was a disconnection from myself because I was listening to everyone else around me. So that's kind of why we started Wolf Academy. And that's our mission is to go around Ireland and deliver these talks and workshops. And we have other coaches coming on board as well to de- deliver their story and, you know, tools that are effective for young people. One of the things I'm hearing there to reflect back to the conversation with Phyllis that you also heard, and you, you read that article, for example, in the Washington Post, one of the things she talked about was giving people, students, a language, giving them communication skills to be able to even articulate what they want. And this seems to be very reflective of what you do with the Wolf Academy. What Phyllis was sharing was really in line with our philosophy, I suppose. It's that autonomy piece as well and helping them find meaning in what they're doing. And then, as you said, having a language to actually, you know, express how you're feeling. Because I remember when I was starting on, like, even when I was working in that IT job, I never could express how I was feeling. So I started writing it down when I used to actually started writing poetry and then I started journaling. And I was like developing this skill of, you know, how do I speak to myself or how do I feel? And we're trying to teach students those techniques to really start tapping into those feelings and emotions that are often pressed down. Um, And as Daryl often says, when you press down emotions, that leads to depression. So you need to express them, like let them out. Um, So like there's many different ways and different ways work for different people. But it's, as you said, yeah, definitely. I think developing a language um, is something that's really important and some of those other things that Phyllis said as well, especially that I think for 16-year-olds, a lot of them, they mightn't want to listen, you know, they mightn't want to do these things that you're telling them to do in school. So it's finding out what's their struggle, what's their why, and helping them guide, find their own path and just you being a guide rather than telling them what's right or wrong. It's very reflective of uh, the role of a teacher. I mean, it's like a, a Sherpa in a way to help people navigate those periods. But what I what I really find interesting and what's very, 
overlapping between both your missions, both you and Phyllis, is that helping people find the North Star to be able to understand themselves first, to have principles, to have understand themselves so they actually know what they like. But sometimes it's not your goals. It's what you think others want. For me, anyway, it's, it was definitely coming from my head. So like in school, we're taught how to use our heads. Maybe we could, there's even some things we could be taught how to use our heads for better, but it's like, you know, a lot of memory and learning that way, but we're not taught how to tap into our intuition. And for me, that was the disconnect. So I was listening to my logical mind and my logical mind was saying, ah, oh, this is a good job. You know, you should do this because you're good at maths and you should do this because everyone else is doing it. But I never asked like, what does my intuition say or my heart, I suppose, what does that want to do? And it's a very, you know, scary thing to go against the crowd as well. We're not taught to do that either. So it's, it's developing that, you know, courage as well and resilience to be able to listen to yourself. And for, for that to happen, for that intuition to speak, you need to have quiet. So we talk a lot about, you know, taking time to yourself to just even sit with yourself. Like how many, even adults today can't sit with themselves, you know, they have to be doing, doing, doing. And I'd be, I'd be guilty of that a lot of the time too, but I've developed that over the years, but it's, yeah, we don't really encourage quiet time or slow time. It's all like, go, go, go. And for us, it's just helping young people, like find out more about themselves by sitting in that quiet and reflecting and having, I suppose, support there when they need it as well, when they're struggling. It's so refreshing to hear that you're doing that work because it, as you said, it's not done enough. We're seeing it more and more in life, thankfully. There's a great quote, you probably heard of a French mathematician, a guy called Blaise Pascal. He said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. And that echoes throughout everything in life. I mean, I see it. I work as an exec coach and I see it with CEOs. They are so overwhelmed. The calendar is so slammed. It's like a game of Tetris that they have no space to think, to look out the window, to take a rest and digest moment, let alone do any meditation. And it's leading to massive burnout. So I love the fact that just like we were talking about earlier on with Phyllis, that you're intercepting that because it happens later in life and it's very hard to change the habits later in life. And like, it's great having goals and all that, but I think sometimes as parents or teachers, we, we can't put too much pressure on young people to achieve like that's that's what i was you know i was an achiever because i thought if i achieve things people will love me or like obviously i didn't know that was the reason but looking back that's where i got my self-worth in achievement but no matter how much you achieve you'll never feel good enough so that was for me and still i catch myself like trying to do too much and i'm like just you know you're there already just enjoy the process so i think more emphasis on i think it's like a cultural kind of societal shift on you know, it's not all about achievement. It's about accepting who you are, like, and loving who you are. And, you know, enjoying that journey as you move towards what you truly want. And like, yes, it's important to be your best self, but you need to come from that place of joy within you first. And as Phyllis mentioned as well, focus on the joy and the process rather than the results or the achievements. So um, that's, I think that's a shift that we have to be mindful as well of, of as adults that we're not promoting, like you need to succeed in all these things, you know, to be good enough. Beautiful way to finish today's episode. Cormac, for people who want to find out more about Wolf Academy, where can they find you guys? Yeah, so we're on the social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, just under Wolf Academy IRL. And then our website is wolfacademy.ie and you can get in touch 
through the website or just even email me cormac at wolfacademy.ie and we're always looking to collaborate with people or partner with similar organizations and the same mission if it aligns and stuff like that and yeah anyone that would like to get in touch be more than happy to chat to them thank you for joining us on the inside learning podcast brought to you by the learnabout center here in trinity college dublin i'm your host aid mccullen and i want to thank co-founder of wolf academy cormac noonan thank you for joining us thanks very much aiden Inside Learning is brought to you by the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College, Dublin. Learnovate is funded by Enterprise Ireland and IDA Ireland. Visit learnovatecentre.org to find out more about our research on the science of learning and the future of work.